5, and we'll begin reading in verse number 13 in just a moment. James chapter 5 and verse number 13. I want you to notice as we read these eight verses together, a word or form of a word that occurs seven times in these final verses of James' epistle. James chapter 5, verse number 13, Is any among you afflicted? Let him pray. Is any merry? Let him sing psalms. Synonymous idea of this is praise. Let him praise the Lord. If anyone's merry, things are going well for him. Let him sing psalms. Let him praise God for it. Verse number 14, is any sick among you? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith, the prayer which issues or which comes from faith or is out of faith shall save the sick and the Lord shall raise him up. And if he have committed sins, they shall be forgiven him. Confess your faults one to another and... Pray one for another that you may be healed. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Elias was a man subject to the like passions as we are, and he prayed earnestly. It's interesting. It's in Hebraism. When they wanted to emphasize something, they would put uh, the two of the forms of the same word together. Basically, the idea of praying earnestly is that he prayed with prayer. In other words, there are times when some people go through the motions of praying, but they're not really praying. The idea of Elijah praying earnestly is that he prayed with prayer. He prayed, and it was real prayer. Okay. He prayed earnestly that it might not rain, and it rained not on the earth by the space of three years and six months. Verse number 18, and he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth brought forth her fruit. But if any of you do err from the truth, and one convert him, let him know that he which converteth the sinner from the error of his way shall save a soul from death, and shall hide a multitude of sins. I'd like to preach a message this evening, this last service together of 2022, and then anticipating uh, turning the calendar on Saturday night and beginning 2023 together. I would like to preach a message on the subject of prayer with this title, Prayer Work prayer work. Let's ask the Lord's help. Father, would you strengthen us for the work of prayer and encourage us, challenge us for it. And what a blessing it is to have the resource, the privilege of prayer, the opportunity when we pray to tap into the supernatural and to access the very throne room of heaven, the very working of God on earth, his will being accomplished here on earth. And so I pray that as we anticipate moving into this new year, uh, that we would finish 2022 well with prayer and purpose to begin 2023 and to continue growth as a people of prayer. And I ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. In 2014, a book was written uh, that analyzed churches that died and why they died, and 12 characteristics were given of either dying or dead churches, churches that ultimately would have to close their doors. And one of those characteristics was they rarely prayed together. A follow-up to that book was written in 2020, 
And it was an analysis of churches that had been on a decline towards death, but had seen with God's help and their ownership of responsibility, seen church, that church turned around. And as you would guess, one of the seven characteristics that the author of that book identified that marked a church that revived, survived, and thrived was corporate prayer. I read this. It's maybe not perfectly appropriate for this evening because we have, in the wintertime, folks who uh, stay home, older folks, because of the difficulty to see. We have work schedules that sometimes conflict with prayer meeting. Uh, at this stage right now, we've got a lot of folks traveling because of the holidays and a lot of folks sick. But someone still, I believe, appropriately said this. If you don't know the popularity of a church, if you want to identify or know the popularity of a church, look at its Sunday morning attendance. If you want to know the popularity of the pastor, look at its Sunday evening attendance. If you want to know the popularity of the Lord in that church, look at its attendance on prayer meeting night. I don't say that to convict anybody because I know there are reasons. And you are the ones who are here tonight, so praise the Lord. Okay. But at the close of 22 and the beginning of 23, I want us to focus on this most important work of prayer. Just this morning, I was up early on my knees praying, and the Lord brought Matt and Amanda Smith and their process for the visas to mind. And so I said, God, with just a simple two-sentence prayer, I said, Lord, would you please work and in your timing bring Matt and Amanda's kids' visas to them? And I thought, you know what, I'm just going to send a text to Matt right there, sitting on the couch in the living room, and I sent a text to Matt. I said, Matt, just wanted you to know I'm praying for the visas any, any report on that, any update, he texted me back. He said, you're not going to believe this. The Lord answered that one really fast. Four minutes ago, I got an email notification that they had come through. Okay. Now, not every prayer gets answered that quickly, you know. Um, and I will say what I heard Charles Keene say years ago, preaching a message on a prayer is not a biographical message I'm often convicted about my own prayer life. Ruth Graham, this is no sanction of Billy Graham's ministry, but Ruth Graham was speaking to a group of ladies in Minnesota years ago, and she said, I'm grateful for the times the Lord says no when we pray. She said, because if it wouldn't have been for that, I would have married the wrong man three times. Remember that his no is always better than your yes. And his yes is always better than your no. And his wait is always perfect in his sovereign timing. It's significant that James closes the epistle of James, his epistle, with the, that has as its theme faith working. Remember the book of Romans speaks of our justification by faith as it relates to our vertical relationship with the Lord. The book of James speaks of our justification by faith when it comes to the evidence of our works as it relates to our horizontal relationship before the eyes of men. We're not saved by works, but when we have demonstrated faith in Christ or put our faith in Christ and we are saved, there will be the fruit or the evidence of works. And James demonstrates that and really brings everything to a crux in chapter number two. But it's significant that he concludes these five chapters with 
can I say this in many ways, the most important work of all, and it's the work of prayer. The work of prayer. The work of prayer is an evidence of faith. Prayer is work. How many would agree with that? Prayer is work. But I want you to notice, first of all tonight, that prayer is the best work. Prayer is the best work. I read a book several years ago, and the title said it all. It was written by a pastor from Florida. The title of the book on prayer was, It All Happens After Prayer. Every great work that God does is in some way or another when it comes to human instrumentality founded upon prayer. When it comes to prayer being the best work, you understand that prayer is the best help that you can be to fellow believers. Prayer is the best help that you can be to the lost that you know, the unbelievers that you're seeking to win to Christ. Another reason prayer is the best work is because everyone can do it. There may be some gifts, some talents, some abilities the Lord did not entrust to you as it relates to ministry in the body of Christ, in a local church, but everybody can pray. And that's another reason. It's one of the best works that there is. We all know of William Carey, the Baptist missionary to India, and the great work God would use him to do, but many folks don't know that the, the power in many ways behind William Carey was his invalid sister who couldn't even get out of bed, who undergirded his mission work for all the years that he was in India. She undergirded his mission work with her prayer, an invalid in the place of prayer. It's the best work because it's the best help we can be to others. Everyone can do it. And can I say this as well? The reason prayer is the best work is because everything is subject to it. Or we would say it this way, pray about everything. There is no subject that is too small for us to bring before the Lord in prayer. I read of a little boy today who lost his marble, his favorite shooter marble, And he asked his teacher if it'd be okay if he took a little time away from his work to ask the Lord's help to find his marble. I know what it's like to lose my marbles sometimes too. Some of you are thinking the same thing. I thought I'd go ahead and relieve the pressure. (laughs) The teacher granted permission but was pessimistic. She was afraid the little boy would pray and then nothing would happen and he would be disappointed and lose faith in the work of prayer. The next day, the teacher hesitantly asked the little boy, did you find your marble? He said, no, but when I prayed about it to the Lord, he just settled my heart that it was okay if I didn't find it. Isn't it significant that we talk about prayer changing things, and in fact, many times when we pray, it's not the circumstances that God changes, it's us that God changes. We learn to rest in his sovereignty so prayer is the best work. Yes, it's work, but it's the best work. Many of us have heard the story of George Mueller and the three different individuals that he prayed for for years, one who was saved soon, one who was saved after a while, and one who did not get saved until decades after George Mueller was finished. And I thought about this as it relate, or after George Mueller had passed away. I thought about this. It's interesting. Even after George Mueller's work was finished, the work of prayer was still effective. 
And so prayer is the best work. Prayer is work, but I want you to notice too that prayer is work, but it's faith work. Prayer, your prayer life, is one of the greatest expressions of trust. I've said it before, and I'm often reminded of it in my own life, my dad's words, that prayerlessness is one of the greatest forms of pride. Prayerlessness is a declaration of independence from God, but prayer is a declaration of dependence upon God. I think about several other times in the book of James that prayer is referenced and the importance of prayer and that it is a work of faith. Notice, if you would, chapter 1, verse number 5. If any of you lack wisdom, let me tell you that one of the most precious commodities, and if you want to see this confirmed, just go to the book of Proverbs. One of the most precious commodities that any of us can ever have in our possession is wisdom. This wisdom that descends from above, this wisdom that has as its value more than silver and gold. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God that giveth to all men liberally and upbraideth not, and it shall be given him. Aren't you glad that's stated as a promise? But here's the condition let him ask in what? Faith. Nothing wavering, for he that wavereth is like a wave of the sea driven with the wind. And tossed. Look at chapter 1, verses 17 and 18. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. And cometh down from the Father of lights, with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. And then as if to answer the question, you know, how can I rely upon this God to be the giver of all good gifts and answer my prayer? Verse number 18, of his own, you, you want to know how he works and what he can do? Of his own will begat he us with the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Just look at your new birth. And whatever other needs you had, the greatest need you ever had was to be born again. And if he gave you new birth, when you trusted him and say he can take care of everything else too. Okay. So prayer is the ongoing expression of faith. It's a faith work. Look at chapter 4 and verse number 2. It's fascinating to see themes like this in these small epistles. Chapter number 4 and verse number 2, the last half of the verse. Ye have not because ye ask not. Ye ask... And receive not because you ask amiss of an evil or a selfish motive that you may consume it upon your lusts. But you draw nigh to God, verse number 8, and he will draw nigh to you. So prayer is a faith work. It's a testimony, a personal testimony, a corporate testimony that we depend upon God, that we believe God, that we are trusting God, that his yes is better than my no, his no is better than my yes, and his weight is according to his perfect and his sovereign plan. I think about Luke chapter 18, verses 7 and 8, and prayer is one of the great themes of the gospel of Luke, the Lord's teaching on prayer and parables on prayer, and that unjust judge who was not going to rule in the favor of that destitute widow, but she just kept after him and kept after him and kept after him. And finally, that unjust judge said, I could care less about her or this situation. This woman is just irritating me. And so he ruled in her favor and listened to what Jesus said in Luke chapter number 18 and verses 7 and 8. I love this. And shall not God, if an unjust judge 
And the importunity of this destitute widow woman, if he'll move on her behalf, shall not God avenge his own elect, which cried day and night unto him, though he bear long with them? I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man cometh, shall he find faith on the earth? In the context, prayer is seen as one of the great expressions of faith that the Lord is looking to find when he comes again. And so prayer is the work of faith. It's a faith work. Isaac Newton, the scientist who was also a believer, said, I have a telescope that will allow me to see with my eye through that telescope millions of miles into space and see stars up close in the heavens. But he said, I set aside that telescope and I go into my prayer closet and on my knee I can see more of heaven than any telescope ever allowed me to see. So prayer is work, but it's the best work. Prayer is work, but it's faith work. Number three is that we look at our text in the book of James. I noticed that prayer is work, but I'm glad to tell you too, it's proven work. It's proven work. In other words, we can look back in Bible history and see testimony after testimony after testimony of people like Elijah, and notice how James mentions him, a man subject to like passions as we are, and yet he, being faulty as he was, pastor friend of mine and preaching on Elijah, I heard him say years ago, and I've quoted him many times, that Elijah was the perennial bipolar prophet. You didn't want to catch Elijah on a bad day. Especially if you were the captain of a 50 with your 50. Okay. But here was a man subject to like passions. And it's interesting. James is making a connection by bringing up Elijah as a man subject to like passions. You go back to the early part of the passage. Is any man among you afflicted or any among you afflicted? Talking about troubled. Going through trials and difficulties. Boy, Elijah knew about those, didn't he? Is any merry, let him sing psalms. Is any sick? Now, I'm not going to take the time tonight to look into all of this, but the word translated sick here is the word that more than sick is translated weak in the Scripture, and it does not predominantly in its use in Scripture refer to physical sickness. It refers to spiritual weakness, frailty, or sickness. Okay, that helps in a right understanding of this passage of Scripture when it comes to what James is talking about when he's speaking about anointing with oil. By the way, the word anointing that he uses is one of two words that translate anoint in the Bible. One speaks of a ceremonial, symbolical anointing. That's not the word that James uses here. James uses the word anointing that speaks about a refreshing anointing. So I'm sorry that I'm unraveling a favorite passage of Scripture for the Catholics and their holy unction in the Charismatics. But the Bible means what it means. Okay. But it's a proven work. And here the Bible uses, James uses an illustration after talking about the trouble that we may have In our times of affliction, our difficulties, he said, hey, here's Elijah, a man who was subject to passions in a similar way, the same way to you. And yet he prayed. And look what God did through his prayer. Can I tell you what the implied argument of James is? If God will answer prayer 
For Elijah, being who he was, he'll answer prayer for you too. It's a proven work. Look at a Moses. Uh, this week, I, I, got a, an, I got an audio uh, version of the King James Version on my favorite Bible app on my phone the last week and a half. I'm telling you, can I just, if you, if you have access to audio Bible, get it. It's amazing how much Bible you can get through if you're listening. Okay. And plus two senses are being touched. If you're able to read as you're listening, you've got your ear gate, your eye gate, and you've got multiple senses being touched. I have been profiting so much from this. I look, listened to the entire book of Genesis this week. I've listened to the entire book of James. I listened to the entire book of Ecclesiastes. I listened to Revelation 2 and 3 and several other significant portions of Scripture just driving to make visits. Just driving to Spartanburg for shopping. But I listened again to Genesis chapter 24 when Eliezer, Abraham's servant, went to find a bride for Isaac. And he prayed and laid out specific requests before the Lord. Lord, if this is the woman that you want, let her come and offer not only to draw water for me, but the camels too. And it's exactly what Rebecca did. Look at Eliezer. Look at Joshua standing in the, in the valley of Ajalon asking the, sun to stand, the Lord to stand the sun still. We have a wonderful God who's proven himself time and time again to answer prayer when his people pray. I read the story recently of a little girl who, a 10-year-old girl who was having trouble with her math and her mom wasn't very good at it. I can empathize with that. Uh, when it comes to my kids having, I'm so, Grace is wonderful with numbers. And so when Elena has math trouble, I say, just go talk to Grace. Go ask Grace. But this little girl, her mama couldn't help her. And so the little girl was sharing with another neighbor lady that uh, I'm having trouble with my math and mama can't help me. And the other neighbor lady said, well, go talk to the man at house 112 on our street. I hear he is a math whiz. And so the little girl got her mama's permission and went over and knocked on the man's door at 112 on their street. And the man came to the door and invited her in, and she told him she had a question about math, and he helped her with that one, and pretty soon the little girl was at this man's house on a regular basis. She told her mama, she said, Mama, every time I go, and the mama was embarrassed. She goes, How often are you there? She said, A lot, because I'm having a lot of trouble with my math. But every time I go, this man knows the answer and he gives me the answer and he helps me tremendously. And the mother was embarrassed. She went down to house 112 and knocked on the door and Albert Einstein came to the door. And the mother apologized, not knowing who this was. She apologized and as the story goes, Albert Einstein said, it's not a problem, it's not a problem. I'm glad to help her. Let me tell you something. You serve an omniscient God, and he's your father. There is no problem that you can bring before him, but that he does not have the solution and more. And so prayer is a proven work. Fourthly, prayer from this passage I see is teamwork. It's one of the best ways that a church can unite in serving the Lord. I hark back to those books I mentioned at the introduction. 
Churches that die, you can trace at least some of it to a lack of praying together. But churches that thrive and are alive, you can trace it to a commitment to praying together. Teamwork. What is this one who is sick? Verse number 14. Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him. Notice, if you would also, verse number 16, confessing your faults one to another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. The literal idea is it gets a lot done. It gets the job done. Let him call. Let them pray. Confess one to another. Pray together. Many of us have heard the story, but I found it repeated again this week in preparation for this evening. C.H. Spurgeon giving a tour of the Metropolitan Tabernacle to a group of visitors before a service. And after he'd showed them the great auditorium, he took them down the steps to a room underneath the auditorium. When he opened the door, 400 people were on their knees in prayer. And Spurgeon looked at those visitors and he said, this is the furnace room. This is where the heat is generated and the power. I was challenged by a book that I read this week on the importance of prayer warriors in a church, even if they're just a few. The author of that second book that I mentioned on churches that had survived and were thriving said that when he began to analyze all of these churches as he would peel back the layers, as he would interview the people and ask them, what was it that turned things around? He said, as they peeled back the layers, as I interviewed him, he said, I found in every case I could ask this question, who's the prayer warrior? And people could point to an individual or two in a church that were just committed to be the prayer warriors of that church. Who will be the prayer warrior? Behind the scenes. In the furnace room. In the old days of the British Navy, the sailors on the ship were trained that if there was a, an explosion or some kind of accident that took place, the first note that the captain of the ship would order the bugle to call would be a song called The Still, S-T-I-L-L. And it was a song that immediately sent a message to all of the sailors, don't panic, just stop and think about what you're supposed to do and then act. And I thought about the importance of prayer and the call to prayer. How many times do we just react instead of stopping and hearing the Spirit's bugle call of still and then pray? Prayer is work, but it's the best work. Prayer is work. It's the faith work. It's the proven work. It's teamwork. But fifthly and finally, before we go to prayer tonight, I want you to notice, just as a brief final thought, an overview of this passage of Scripture, prayer is a sanctifying work. Where you find a believer who is growing, you will find a believer who is praying. Prayer is part of our sanctification. 
As you see in this passage, it's part of our sanctification emotionally. Is any among you afflicted? Let him pray. Is any merry? Everything going well? Keep it in perspective. Remember to praise God for it. Prayer is a sanctifying work as it relates to our physical, our mental health. If there are those that are sick or weak or fainting, prayer is the sanctifying solution to that. If there's spiritual or corporate problems, prayer is part of the sanctifying work there. There's a tremendous consolation for me, and that is this. How many of us have prayed for someone we love to be healed physically? And they were not. Well, actually, they were permanently healed. Okay, You know what I'm saying. But they weren't healed physically in order to keep living in this life. And so there are times we pray, oh God, take away the cancer. Oh God, would you touch that person's body if it's your will, if it pleases you, if that's your sovereign plan. God has a different plan. But I want you to notice the consolation here, and that is this. When the sickness is spiritual, and we pray about it according to God's pattern in this passage of Scripture, while not every physical sickness is healed, praise God that every spiritual sickness can be healed. And that's the promise of this passage. The prayer of faith shall save the sick. So prayer is work. In 1898, a young steel executive by the name of Frederick Taylor decided to implement a new practice with a group of volunteers at the steel manufacturing plant where he worked he noticed that the fatigue of men who would load steel all day long would just be overcoming to them. And so he implemented a schedule of breaks. They would load steel for 12 minutes and then sit down and breathe for three minutes. And he paid those men that volunteered to do it an extra dollar a day. That was in 1898. He called those his high-pay men. And he noticed this, that among those men that agreed to take that three-minute break every 12 minutes, that they were refreshed and strengthened like the rest of the laborers were not. And their overall steel production went from 12 and a half tons a day being loaded to 47 tons a day being loaded. Prayer is work, but it's the best work. Oh, how praying rests the weary. When Billy Sunday first got saved, a personal worker told the young believer who would go on to be the evangelist that he was, there are three things that you need to do every day if you're to have spiritual success. A minimum of 15 minutes a day, listening to God by reading his word, a, minute, a minimum of 15 minutes a day by telling others about God, 
and a minimum of 15 minutes a day by talking to God in prayer. The outcome was the effective ministry of Billy Sunday. Prayer work. Oh, it's work, but it's the best work. It's faith work. It's proven work. It's teamwork. What a wonderful work it is. Father, thank you. As we go home this evening with this challenge in our hearts, that we be reminded of the importance of prayer, that it's indispensable, it's vital. And as we go to prayer corporately this evening, I pray, God, that you would honor our prayer as we seek to honor your pattern and your plan. In Jesus' name, amen.